Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter, reminding you to go to acons.substack.com. That's where you'll find our commentary. You'll find all of our social media profiles, and you will find links to this podcast, which we hope that you will, one, subscribe to, and two, consider financially supporting so that we can bring you more great content. Speaking of great content, we are thrilled to have back to the show, Eric July. Eric July is a YouTuber with over a half million followers, and I'm sure that's been updated since then. I'm sure he's just ripped right past that. Um, and the lead voice for the metal rap band, Backwards, um, and a, a contributor to The Blaze. He is also the founder of The Ripperverse, and he joins us from The Ripperverse today. It is my joy to bring back to Akon's air. Hey, 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 how you all doing? I appreciate you certainly having me here. And um, it certainly is good to be to be back yet again um, for, for another one. Definitely considering that we're we have ISOM 2 going. And it, like I said, it's just been it's just been a blast to, to do these and, and connect with everybody because uh, this this doesn't get to the level that it is unless you have people that are, you know, spreading the word out there. It was very organic movement. So I appreciate you all having me back and I appreciate everybody that's been supporting this thing as it continues to grow. So as you've alluded to, ISOM 2 is, is here and uh, it is like a child uh, going through childbirth. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, I know it's a lot of pain, a lot of effort, but it's here and it is here. I mean, you have exceeded everyone's expectations. It has gone all out, uh, I think a million and a half in sales. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's like the first week. Yeah. So tell us about ISOM2, uh, all of the good things about it and, and how it came to be and, and how we can support it. Well, uh, starters, obviously, Ripperverse.com, excuse me, is where you can go to check in on that campaign. Um, it is a pre-order campaign, so you guys can get in right now. Fulfillment will start at the end of the year. But for those that don't know Ripperverse, uh, that was my own comic book company that I started last year. And it was uh, something that I would have thought I'd never be able to do until I was well, you know, let's say older than what it is that I am now. And, you know, looking at the comic book industry looking at the decline of it i wanted to be a part of the the solution as opposed to just griping about the problem people that have watched me on my youtube you know that was one of the big focal points of mine was the comic book industry so we launched i i saw him being our first character that we that we launched as well as the first book and you know first campaign does 3.7 million and we go into i saw two the following year and you know you had people that suggested that this was more of a one-hit wonder type of situation and to be hitting 1.5 million on a second issue, which is not generally supposed to happen. We've already sold over a third of the books that we sold in the first campaign. And that's not generally, you know, with the collectors 
element of comics that's not generally what happens on that second issue of a series so for us to be seeing the level of success it is that we have it shows that it was real it wasn't just striking lightning or catching lightning in a bottle it was one of those things where we just we just made it happen and again i'm very appreciative of that because you know again it's about comics it's about entertainment it's about trying to give people what it is that they want and what it seems industries have been going out of their way definitely in entertainment to push away their core audiences so for us to to be able to do this is unprecedented but it's a testament of how look thing the market's wide open these days it's not a fixed pie it is wide open and if you have a great idea you find out how to market that effectively you can you can be you can be of great success and not just being successful in your own rights but being a legitimate competitor in an industry that's been dominated by the same group of people or companies handful of companies over the last several decades so you know i saw too being i saw being the first character a character that i spent a lot of time in, in its creation everything was calculated in in how he is a simplified design of his suit everything top to bottom so to see the response that we've got from isom one and see so many people stoked about isom two i'm just glad i'm just glad i'm blessed to be in the situation it is that i am um and i get more and more stoked about continuing to create with with not just isom but the other characters that are in the ripperverse so again this is a testament to the movement itself to everybody that's been supporting this and like i said i'm very appreciative of it well, let's take a look at it right now. We've got a trailer that we want to play for you. thing. We often like to think of it as something that just is. But too many people let the past determine who they are. When true greatness is determined by how one deals with the present. helping you i have one condition yeah no more quitting time is a gift i say what are you gonna do with yours wow that is so cool now i know that uh it is the big uh isom one debuted to the biggest comic book uh release since spawn in the 90s and i remember that yeah. so i mean that's a really long time and that's a pretty huge thing um now with uh number two for those who uh may not follow tell us a little bit about isom 
So Isom, obviously being the first character that we created for the Ripperverse, Isom 1 served as more of a launching pad uh, to not just the character, but also the entire universe. And Isom 2 more so dives into, because we don't have that responsibility of launching a company, a universe, and one individual character this go around. But Isom, as a character, he's uh, out of a city called Flores Park in, uh, in, in Texas. He lives outside the city, the main city of Flores Park, in, on his own ranch that he operates. He used to be a hero back um, in the Gap. And where the story starts, he's, uh, he's long retired and he's doing his own thing on his own ranch, living a regular life. And he gets a call from his sister to go visit this old friend. And that's when all the shenanigans and, and, and stuff takes place, which actually leads him to a point to where he's reconsidering uh, putting the suit back on. And that's those events happen in ISOM number one. And in ISOM two, we actually dive into a lot of that. And the big point of ISOM two, if you see the main cover, we talk about why ISOM quit in the first place. So you guys are going to learn that. Uh, with Isom too, and again, it's very more. It's more Isom centric than what Isom One is because it doesn't have that task as it did before. But there are some new characters that also get introduced that I know some people are going to be stoked about. We have Blood Ruth, which which already seeming to become a fan favorite, even though people don't know much much about her because they love her design uh, and all of that. Of course, they see her on on the cover. So. Isom is something that's near and dear to me because, again, he's the character that I decided to launch the universe be, uh, you know, with. So to see people be able to or know that people are going to be able to learn even more about him in Isom 2, which is the second part of the ill-advised arc. I can't wait for people to get their hands on that. Now, doing all the things that you're doing, I mean, you're producing this thing. I mean, it's like your baby from start to finish. So there are a lot of uh, issues that go into that, yeah. pun intended, but a lot of stuff that goes into that. Uh, so are you thinking about uh, expanding the universe and marketing toys, action figures, any of that kind of stuff? Well, most definitely, uh, you know, those are my aspirations. I will take this as far as the audience will allow us to take it. I think our first big step outside of simply the comics was the animation it is that you guys just showed. And that was something I invested a lot of money in. But uh, time and effort, I wrote the script for all of that. And that was more of a filler for the audience to see kind of where they're at on it. And because people have responded in the way that they have and they enjoyed it, that's what it's about. And I would do that as much as I realistically can. But, yeah, I have I have massive aspirations. And I would love to enter into these different markets. So we have like a benchmark goal. If we somehow do something crazy and we hit five million, we'll start doing high sum statues and, and, and that and of that ilk. So I will go wherever the audience takes it. We are a bona fide, like true organic company. So there's no external investors or anything. So everything is customer driven. So if that's the if the demand is there and we continue to profit and see the success, well, I'll go wherever they want me to take it. And again, the animation with Riververse Studios, that was the big that was the first big, big kind of thing. But we have brought in other people to continue to expand because to your point, I'm doing a million different things. I'm not just writing a lot of these material, a lot of the material and creating I'm the owner of the business, right? So I have to kind of facilitate that end of it. So we also are, are, are on a distributor. So that's a big part of what it is that we do as well. So with us growing and us bringing more people in with the distribution, our warehouse team is getting filled out as well, but also the creative team. We have the most one of the most prolific 
bat family writers of our uh, generation and chuck dixon who's writing the upcoming alpha core book we have the Saska sisters who are going to be writing the upcoming yaira book so we we're expanding in all elements i am not one of those guys that feels like he has to do every single thing i do want to i do i am hands-on so even with the scripts it is that those guys wrote you know i was facilitating all of that the editing and all of that um, because I, there's still a vision here, but you know, I, I recognize that this can't be just a one man army by any means. And that's why it's successful in the way that it is, because I, I've been able to surround myself with people that know what it is they're doing and are great workers, great, great at what it is they do creatively and behind the scenes with the, with our employees. And that's why it's seeing the level of success. There's no way that I could do this all by myself. Now, you mentioned the Saska sisters and Yaira. Let's talk about her for a moment. Uh, we see uh, some Ripa fans uh, arguing over Yaira, uh, whether it is to be seen whether she's going to be uh, an ally or an enemy or possibly a love interest. What can you tell, of, uh, tell us about her and the direction that it may go in under the Saska sisters? Well, I mean, that's such a great question, by the way. And the Ira became a fan favorite immediately. Um, I, and it wasn't just that I put it there. Some certain things, and you learn this in entertainment, doesn't matter if you're doing music, some things you just you just can't control. It's just what it is. It's the audience is going to have the reception, they're gonna have the they're gonna receive it in whatever way it is that they may. So Yes, we put her out there. We have her own cover, the, that second cover or the cover B of ISOM number one. But something as simple as her poster, and a lot of people might not know this unless you paid attention to the numbers. ISOM's poster sold less than Yaira's poster for his own campaign by ISOM 1. So that's telling me right there that there is a hardcore demand for it. So I had the expectations of expanding on her. I, I figured that people would be intrigued by her to this level. I had no way of pr predicting that. So if you if you read I someone and you see that interaction that she has with Alpha Core, as well as the interaction that she has with the brief interaction with I you see that there's more to her than what meets the eye. And, and I love to see the fan theories and all of that people are, <laughs> are are finding out or trying to figure out what is she? Is she good? What are her powers? Is she is she bad? All of that good stuff. And that's that's so very important to the the fun of what comics are about right and to see that there's there's that growth right there and uh, uh there's that potential the saskas i will say this if you guys are familiar this gives you a little hint into it if you're familiar with the saskas work you can understand why she's a hand and glove fit for them she's cutthroat like i, I as you see what happens in ISOM one she does not play around so that doesn't mean she's necessarily good or bad. You'll see what, what, what our plans are with her. But that that it couldn't have been a more perfect team to write her, considering that she has a little more uh, complexity about her. So I can't wait for people to read this uh, Saska's Yaira book. It's already been wrote. They've long been done. We have future ideas. Um, it, it's going to be a great time. So I can't wait for people to read uh, Isom 2, but also get in on that Yaira, Yaira book and learn more about her. Well, now you kind of kicked it off for us because you came uh, a few months ago. And since then, we've had Mike Barron, Chuck Dixon, uh, Graham Nolan Beautiful. on the show. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit. I want to pivot a little bit to Chuck Dixon because, you know, he's uh, been here. Uh, it's been confirmed that he is going to be a writer for the Ripperverse. You've already alluded to that. Um, 
but he's more known uh, for individual characters. Mm -hmm. So why the intriguing choice of Chuck Dixon for the Alpha Corps? Mainly because of what we've seen him be able to do with mem individual members of the Bat family is is one of those things where I was like, he's he can do this and he's going to be he's going to be great for it. You know, he's done Nightwing. He's done Robin. Right. He's done these various characters throughout the actual Bat family. So he knows how to give them, despite them maybe being part of the, the, that larger Bat family, he knows how to individually flesh them out. Uh, and he's proven that. So this is it, like Alpha Core in itself. Yeah, that's the, the team. But Alpha Core has individual members, three of them, individual members with their own personalities. So him being able to have the responsibility, at least in the first book, of sort of fleshing them out is, I think, right up his alley for what it is that he can do and what he has done. Um, so that that was more so what I was thinking with that. And he did a great job. He did a great job. Sure. Yeah, I created the characters, but we, we got to flesh them out at the end of the day. And, he, you know, I had these ideas of who I need them to be. And, you know, Chuck's he's a professional. He knows exactly what it is that he's doing. So all I had to do was give him the layout of who these guys are. What's their personality? And he's like, OK, I got you. And he went in, he wrote an incredible story, and I can't wait for people to read that. That is going to be the next story after I Sum 2, and it's highly anticipated. And it should be because, again, you have one of the most prolific uh, writers of our generation, the writer that I, I'm so familiar with his work because that was what I was reading growing up. It's a dream come true to even be working with him. So we got that element of it, and I can't wait for people to get in on it. Now, as though you didn't have enough on your plate... <laughs> Are you going to be doing any work outside of the Ripperverse, like Ooh. maybe collaborating with some other folks? It's hard to say because it's not that I don't want to or wouldn't want to. It's that at least for right now, so much of my time, I got literally my every day is Ripperverse. Every day I wake up, it's Ripperverse. Go to sleep, it's Ripperverse. And I do think that there's going to be collaborative efforts that are going to spawn from this i think a lot a lot of that the riververse is still going to be tied into it but look as it starts to get more on autopilot i will never be away from the riververse but for example i'm wearing a lot of hats right now once the i think the company is on like a coast period where i can focus more on the creative and the business side and that's really it Everything else, warehousing and all that sort of stuff is we we have those those positions filled and it 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 it's on autopilot. We feel good about it. Then I'll be able to dedicate more time towards other things. And yeah, if the situation comes about and it makes sense, for sure I'd be up I'd be up for uh, collaborating with other people on other different things, especially if it means. Uh, you know, doing stuff that maybe the Ripperverse ties into. We talked about this just not too long ago of the different stuff outside of the comics that we could be involved in. And I'm, I'm certainly willing to entertain that. The last time you were here, the big thing that we talked about was Comicsgate. Now it is the new hashtag Comics Broke Me. And if you are prolific on Twitter, you know that it is a hashtag from a lot of people in the industry talking about, you know, how it is so hard to make a living in comics what is your take on that yeah see 
it's two ways to look at this. One, I look at it like it's sad. This is an industry it is that I love, and I'll get to that in a little bit about what I've tried to do to correct it. On the other half, it's it's also was it was facilitated by people within the industry, and they've kind of done that to themselves, and they pushed a lot of people out, and they've tried to gatekeep an industry where they themselves are struggling right because they cared more about the status and they cared more about the optics than they actually cared about a thriving market uh in, in the comic book industry so you know the economic issues for example was one of the biggest things that i tried to address and correct and of course these the the, the my detractors and folks that are in the industry the comic <laughs> pros that hate me they will never ever look at it from that aspect but you know one thing that people aren't griping about with the ripperverse despite us having some people that again they're at the prime of their careers and like the saskas and they're they're able to be afforded i and i made it a point to make sure that everybody's taken care of financially i invested like three hundred thousand dollars of my own money or nearly three hundred thousand dollars of my own money to get this bad boy off the ground and the profit that is used from the this company is used to give creatives great commissions okay you talk about see this stuff with abuse and comics broke me one thing that you'll never hear people complaining about that work here for the riververse is them not getting paid we make sure they get paid we make sure they get their money we make sure that they're that they're taken care of and more importantly we make sure that they're compa- they're paid on time so our agreement is as it is and not too long after that commission has been submitted, we have the high res files. If it's like artwork, we make sure that we get that uh, submitted and it's yours. It's hitting your bank account. And that's something that I will continue to do because I'm a creative in, in, in it myself. And that was, again, a major problem that we needed to address within the comic book industry. And they'll never give us credit for that, for sure. They'd much rather be so protective of these mega corporations that have despite having way more resources than what i am and what i have they're being abused and if that's what they want to protect that's what they want to protect i just find that whole situation ironic because the one company that they seem to hate so much because it's the new kid on the block but maybe a couple political views that they don't despise happens to be the company that nobody's griping about you know abuse or not getting paid you know the beauty of the whole thing and and what i love about you and what you have done and what you've created is you are disrupting an industry and it needed to be disrupted absolutely um we talked about that last time all of this crazy woke ideology that seems to come at the expense of profit i mean look at what happened with bud light it's kind of like oh hey let's do something woke and controversial and you know, lose all of our profits overnight. So it's kind of like, it seems like you're in business to make a profit, but then you don't understand your audience at all. You do. And that's what makes what you're doing so brilliant. Um, So you're seeing that you're seeing like Substack. We love Substack because it is disrupting a model and it's putting money in the pockets of those who are actually doing the content creation. So talk about being a disruptor. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we knew and I didn't underestimate this. And I think anybody that goes into an industry where they the guys at the top or it's more it's unwelcoming. You have to understand that they're going to throw absolutely everything out at you. Excuse me, because 
you know, they have a lot riding on it. The status quo being the way that the status quo is, even if they're not benefited from it as individual creatives, they much rather protect that system than have that level of uncertainty that comes with it being completely upended. That's uncertainty that I welcome. I mean, I'm a, I'm a capitalist at the end of the day, and I believe in markets. Even if I didn't have a spot in the uncertainty uh, of the industry as things get, let's say, fundamentally changed, I'd still welcome it because it's a necessary thing if it needs to be upgraded, if it needs to be more beneficial to certainly the creatives. Now, it's funny. This is the least political thing that I think I've ever done. Create my own comic book company. I have obviously my takes. I've done stuff with being libertarian. You talk about my band, all these different things that I've done. The least political thing that I did was start my own comic book company where people, for the most part, leave their political views at the door when it comes to the actual stories, Okay. They leave that stuff at the door. It needs to make sense for the characters it is that we're, we're we're building. So there's more balance there, okay? So I've done that, yet all that considered, this is the thing that I've gotten the most pushback with because they understand what's on the line here. And yeah, to your point, everything's different. For example, we're our own distributor. For comic book, a comic book company with our volume, that's unheard of, where you have a, a bunch of guys that are well, a, a comic book company's pushing 40, 60,000 units, right? Of an individual comic book, and they distribute it themselves. That's not the industry standard. Marvel doesn't distribute their own books, um, not any, even DC, not Image, not IDW, not Dark Horse. None of these guys they go through the diamonds of the world, Lunar, yes. uh, Penguin Random House. We do that ourselves, so that in itself is what separates us from them also the level of transparency it is that we have with our sales with our business model everything so you can go to the campaign site and you can see how many people ordered a certain item or like how many individual covers these going directly to customers right that's what we do and that's unheard of it's not like marvel's giving you their list of like how much they they've actually they're not doing that and we know why but they're not doing that so you know we have upended the end or we're starting to let's say that up in how traditionally the industry has been done and how it's operated and it's gotten us a lot of hatred but i'm okay with that it must mean that we're doing something correct and that's absolutely right and pair that with all the missteps as we have alluded to you know not knowing your market at all mm -hmm. uh you know we've seen all and we talked about this last time that you were here all the wokeness that's invaded all of the dc and marvel stuff what was your take on the spectacular flop that was the debut weekend for the flash oh man um it's did <laughs> you finally get like an actual flash movie and this is what what ends <sighs> up happening uh and it's sad but and i used to be one of those guys that would get upset at stuff like this now i'm like well they're getting what it is that they de they deserve and especially considering that i'm i'm trying to compete in in, in the comic book market um it, it's going to show that they've lost their pizzazz um they've you know turned off a bunch of fans and now they've been left with a, a bunch of folks who try to give them the time of day but it's just not nearly they pushed away anybody that could have, let's say, subsidized or or really funded their their effort. They're not making material with a comic book audience in mind. And really, yeah. that's a big part of what separates us. See, a lot of the current creatives, not just with the comic book movies, but especially I would argue even more so in the actual comic books, 
you know, they're writing for an audience that doesn't really exist or an audience that they want to be their audience, not for yeah. the audience that's already there and fundamental to the actual industry. So they're getting what it is that they, they deserve in that, well, you pushed them away. You've made it clear that you don't want them. Okay, they're going to start acting accordingly. So you've seen flop after flop after flop with so many of these comic book industry, uh, comic book movies. It's not just with Flash. We saw Marvel and what happened with their, you know, their uh, Eternals, and and we and we saw what happened with Thor, and we we saw what happened with Ant Man. Like these these guys are losing money or barely breaking even, if anything. You don't spend. Uh, you know, with a $200 million production budget, you add the marketing, you're talking over maybe $400 million. You don't spend that much to, to not profit. That's not how it works or to even break even. You don't sink that much money into a product for that long to do that. But that's what's happening. And I don't think that they have the guts because they painted themselves in a corner to even change. And I don't know, even if they did change, if the audience would give them, like, accept them, like, again, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So they've really done themselves in, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of where this industry goes with comic book media, considering that they've lost a core, core fan base that could have easily carried them throughout the years. Yes, absolutely. Uh, to address some of this, I want to bring DK in. I have a few questions and comments. I'm first... You talked about the the action figure statue uh, market, and some of us some of us geeks love to collect that stuff. I was going to show you one of my favorites here. He always does show and tell. Oh, nice! <laughs> That's cool. I nice. really love this stuff. I show it off every chance I get. Show and yeah. tell every week. I, I show it, it off on dates, which I probably shouldn't do, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this that was of course mm -hmm. the Joker, one of the my, my favorite villain. And speaking of villains, I know you've been beset by villains of your own. Um, for example, there is some who criticize Isom not telling enough about Avery Silman. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you saw our tweet. Uh, we pointed out that Detective Comics twenty seven debuted Batman, but no one knew that Batman's parents were killed until Detective Comics number 33. Yep. So although it's common for everything to be spelled out uh, in the in initial issue, the debut issue, there's no hard, fast rule about that. You know, Batman has done pretty well over the years. I would like to. I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, um, were you surprised by that particular criticism that you didn't say enough about Avery Silman to satisfy some of the readers? Well, I think that it speaks to kind of the different, the different era that we're in because to your point like the, what we did is not uncommon and even so if you look at the market right now manga is uh dominating the comic book market and they you'd be lucky i mean they'll go 500 volumes before you actually know a certain <laughs> thing about a certain a certain character so it's not uncommon but we live in this age of, of you know with tiktok and the instant gratification short period of time people want to get it consume it all and move on to the next thing and while i guess i can sort of try to emphasize with that type of person that's not necessarily who the ripperverse is is marketed uh too you know we're we're in it for the people that are invested in the riververse so i need to flesh these characters out i want to take my time fleshing these characters out i want that i want the books to matter i want you to learn um and, and be taken along for for a journey so i can't look at it through the lens of a month i have to look at it through the lens of 5 10 15 years if we're still writing these characters like us being able to have room to grow so i don't think that for one, it's under any requirement, but I certainly don't believe that 
you should know everything about the character I, and what is his powers his social security number and all this other stuff that people were expecting in the first issue i just don't agree with that and to be fair i don't think that's from you know that's not been like a common thing for most of our readers i think it's been a lot of bad actors that have you know, it's contrarianism. That's unfortunately what ends up happening when you're in the position that we are, where they are nitpicking and trying to find a problem with it. Because to your point, you look at one of the most prolific uh, characters uh, of like, not of like, let's say this, arguably the most notable comic book character of all time. And it took you six issues before you even got yeah. the backstory of of, of of like uh, his family and them and them dying. It took a while, and like I said, I think that you couldn't even imagine. Could you? You think the creators of Batman were thinking through the lens of seventy years after the fact? Of course not. That's not even what they they did. And to be fair, during that era, it was impossible for them to consider that. Yeah, this is going to be one of the most notable characters of all time like the fictional characters of all time so i'm looking at it through that lens because i don't want to write myself in a corner so you know that's the type of stuff that we have to consider as creatives and to be fair to our audience and to be fair to our, our customers the fact 99 percent of them had zero gripes with uh, the events that took take took place in fact they love the little nuggets it is that we that we left with Isom and in his first book, because to me, that's what comics are about. It's about the anticipation. It's about the speculation. It's about trying to, to put, put together the pieces of the puzzle as opposed to just getting everything and, and me holding your hand. That's specifically the opposite of what it is that we want to do. That's a great point. Well, speaking of, let's stay on the topic of villains. I've noticed that you have like a large group of weirdos who seem obsessed with your opinion of Mal Morales. Oh yeah, I mean, these are grown men who have nothing better to do. They have uh, they're working in unison now. Yep, they they tweet together. They have YouTube channels that are linked together, yep. and and they 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 pretend they're against bigotry and for uh, justice, social justice, and all that. But they attack you with. By calling you a, a Tom, the yep. N word, they call you an untalented grifter. Yep. Um, but it seems to me that they're doing more good for you than harm. <laughs> so what's your What's your opinion on that? Well, yeah, it's the engagement of it all, and I don't think they understand that. I think they, because I couldn't tell you, just the number of people that have come to the Ripperverse. And they heard about us through all of this controversy. And they're like, what in the world is going on? This guy must be a terrible person because they're talking about him as if he is. And then what ends up happening is they look at me up or they look up the company and they're like, well, this isn't so bad. Like, this isn't so bad. And now I have a new fan. So they, they've assisted us because they're so outrageous in their gripes <laughs> and in their complaints and in what it is that they act like they're against. And so what's happening is... On the other hand, people are finding out about us. It's in, they're engaging in our posts, or so they're sending uh, uh, more viewership to it. And those that are rational and go look it up for themselves are finding that they don't really have much of a problem. If anything, they're like, oh, it's a new, cool comic book universe that I can get involved in, and I can see grow, and I'm there at the ground level. So they've only assisted me in their gripes. And to be fair, like I said, they're – their complaints aren't even the complaints. It's just outrageous, slanderous stuff. 
and rational people are going to see see through that when you call me out and you're going to tell on yourself definitely as these guys call me out of my name and all of that sort of stuff even appealing to the racial aspect of it all just because i have a different political opinion and i wanted to create again it's the most mild thing that i've ever done and that's creative comic book universe like that's the that's the least offensive thing that i like to think i've ever said or did i want to talk about a, a comic skate for a second like for the normies who are watching this, um, Commonscape was a, a movement that started a few years ago, uh, mostly comprised of uh, right-leaning artists and writers who shunned the blacklisted from the industry. A lot of major talent no longer felt uh, welcome there. You know, Chuck Dixon got fired, for example, because apparently because of his political views. Um, you are working with several Comicsgate artists, uh, uh, Ethan Van, Ethan Van Skyver and mm -hmm. uh, Shane Davis. Yep. Did, they both did covers for you, um, and and I just want to know how associated you are with that movement. I know mm -hmm. they're they're fans of yours. They yes. say very complimentary things about Isom, um, yeah. and. Just, just, just let me know how uh, connected you are with the Comscape Yeah, it's one of those things where obviously, you know, that's, that's not my personal movement because I wasn't there when that whole thing spurred. I was doing my own. I was just talking about comics when all that was happening. But, you know, that I think that's more so reserved for those that are really, you know, it, it's not my movement per se. But I have nothing for love for these guys and they got nothing for love for me. And this is why you have people that say it's, it's different, like, pockets of the it's the same pocket of the internet let's say that but it's different little movements this is why you know child to raise a fist and, and those guys that call like the iron age where you have people that are part of that where you have like myself and the riververse you got comics gate you have uh these these other corners of the internet that you know are all friendly with one another there's no animosity we we help each other out we say good things about each other but you know i, I certainly love to think that that movement is their movement because that's what it is that they facilitated and they and they grew. I'm not a former comic book pro uh, by by any means that was working for a Marvel or DC. I was there as a customer. And I, like I said, I got nothing for love for those guys that have really put in the work to grow that movement, even as a brand, um, if that's something that you want to call it. But, you know, we got the Riververse. That's our that's our thing. And I got nothing for love. And I want that to be known. And that's why we have things like uh, Ethan's cover. We have Shane Davis's. Uh, uh, covers and there's stuff that we'll be doing in the future that has some of these people that are part of Comics Gate that are involved because there's nothing beloved uh, between us and that's what this that's what we need you know it's not about mon uh, one entity or one monolithic sort of thing it's like our issues with the mainstream what it is that it, that that they have done has in some cases united us in various different ways in terms of what it is that we we prioritize. And if we are going to try to get back to the essence, it's going to require that level of of, uh, of friendliness and, 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 and even friendship in some cases that uh, and co being cordial with each other. If we are to change the sort of tide, and I think that's what it is that you've seen where there's all of these there's common issues and we're able to collaborate when necessary and we need as much of that as we realistically can get you know you just mentioned uh changing the tide and if all of the things that we've talked about today haven't been enough i mean the success that you've had with isom one and now with isom two in just the first few weeks yep. and disrupting this whole model 
you're also doing a charitable endeavor. Tell us about that. Yeah, so our first big charitable endeavor, to your point, is working with an organization called Comic Books for Kids. And what they have done for a while now is pretty much what it what it sounds like. And there are kids that are needing these books. They need some level of escapism that this is uh, children in hospitals, children that are uh, uh, youngsters that are cancer patients. So you got actual, you know, children, youngsters and as well as teenagers who just need a good time, need some need some cheering up and this this and i think it's one of the coolest efforts that I've, I've learned about but for mark over there in comic books for kids they're going around the country and making sure that they have different books uh that are available and afforded to these uh to these youngsters and folks like myself that grew up on this you understand how important that is it's built i mean you built friendships over comic books and and sort of um i think that it's that place where you're happy place for a lot of us. And this is why it's stuck with us for as long as it has. So that's been their efforts. And what we have been able to do and implement because we release stuff in campaign format, you're going to get a bunch of people who get all the items. Right. Uh, and it's like, they don't have anything else to get. So we thought of a way that we could get, we can get them, keep them involved, put a spotlight on a great cause and a great organization for what it is that they're doing and everybody wins. So what we did is for the price, really half the price of the actual like retail price of the book, you can donate it and we will we basically act as distributor. You get the book, we give it to Comic Books for Kids of no cost to them. And it's obviously purely uh, optional. I've made my own cash donation to the organization um, by themselves. But we're basically letting you that I sum one and two now. You can get both of those. We'll make sure that they get it. We distribute it to them and all is good. So, you know, it, it, it's been a great effort. And I actually, you know, there's more that we plan to do that isn't just reserved to uh, one organization. If there's a way that we can get other people involved, um, and or continue to get our community, keep our community engaged and involved. And again, there's people that didn't know that comic books for kids were, were, was a thing because this is the hot thing right now. I saw number two in its own campaign. We're putting eyes on those guys and a good cause, and that's what it's about. So I would love to continue to do this uh, uh, long term. These these aren't books that we're profiting off of. This is why we we are selling it so low. This is just hey, if you want to do this, you want to donate a book, we'll make sure that we get it to them. It's a way to keep them enthusiastic and involved. And that's what I love about it, because that's really what comics at its core for me is about, is kids discovering this. And as a way to enhance literacy and reading, Absolutely. there's a lot of kids that are reluctant readers. And as we talked about last time, you know, when we talk about uh particularly in the black community, how uh, we have failed our children, that they yes. are not reading at grade level. Uh, they are not up to par with math or any of those kinds of things. So getting literature in their hands and getting them started on a path of reading um, is crucial. So I love the fact that you are doing this. How can people get involved? Do they go to your website or how can they do that? Yes. Yeah, so if you go to riververse.com and you go to our campaign number two, which is ISOM number two, and you go to the page, you'll see as one of the actual bundles and the perks, you'll see that we have not one of actually several um, and you can purchase as many as you want. We have some that are like, it's just one book. It's just one cover for ISOM two. It's a cover C for ISOM one. You can bundle it for 25 bucks. So you are talking about for only 25 bucks, you're getting 208 pages to, to some of these youngsters. 
as well as if you go on the upward of like 10 book five 10 books basically you're you're paying for them and you're getting so much material and they're bundled and they're they're so cheap uh, and that's what it's about so if you go to reverse.com you'll be able to see that on the campaign page very simple add that to your cart and again this isn't our donation this is your donation so if you do need a a, a donation receipt please reach out to us we'll be sure to get that to you comic book for kids we'll get that information to you because again we just act as the distributor this is your 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 donation so it's a way to get you guys involved we can't write it off love it okay i have one more uh comic related question then i want to uh take a chance and ask you a political question if i dare yeah uh, <laughs> I just want to, this broke last night or this morning. I saw it this morning and I wanted to get your hot take on it. Um, this was uh, a story of Marvel is uh, promoting their new uh, Disney series, um, Secret Invasion using AI generated opening credits. Um, I know that's a big thing in the comic book market. We spoke with a previous guest about this, how mm -hmm. how the AI uh, is capable of completely changing the market because AI can write, AI can draw, and, and now we're starting to see it implemented more in the comic market. So absolutely. What's your view on AI and will, you ever, will we ever see this in a Ripperverse? Uh, you won't ever see it in a, in, a, in the Riververse. I can guarantee you that. Um, but you know, it, it's one of those things that it seemed like an inevitable thing because everything is a shortcut these days. People want to be able to, it, 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 you know. I think this goes actually a level above a shortcut because they're actually literally doing the work for you, as opposed to to you doing it. And also, it's AI, so it has to pull from. Uh, elements that already exist and stuff that they already did and it goes to show that this is something that you realistically need to consider as an option not to do but more so to look out for if something as big as disney is going to use it themselves and they're getting quite the backlash for using the ai generated stuff because they look at it and artists are rightfully going to look at it like well this is something that someone else could have got a job doing and you took the took the other way out of just having ai do it for you so that's a less a less paying gig and look there are people that are always going to make the case for something like this they're going to say that yeah well i don't have the time to learn this skill or i don't have the money to pay for this artist so this is why i do it and i do think that there it's a difference between like doing something yourself and having a, a set of technology that enhances that, which some people may use AI to do that. Um, I think that's a difference between like inputting words or whatever, and then having something be generated for you. Now, I do think there are going to be people that try to get paid off of this, but I do believe on the other hand, and this is the more white pill of it all, that there's going to be more of a premium for authentic, real creative content made by creative people. So even the event that that became, I don't know, a standard, but something that, let's say, was in the market for, for a minute, I still think that we're going to be fine as creatives, the good ones, that is, because there's going to be always a demand for that, especially in a sea where you're going to get a lot of people doing this gimmick stuff. But me personally, it's not anything that I want to do. 
Um, I don't want to be getting involved in that with the Ripperverse. I'd much rather pay someone to actually do the work that is worked on their beat on their craft and actually try to do something uh, uh, for themselves and, and work on their like from a competitive standpoint. I would think that that's what this is all about. Like you want it to be great. You wanted to, uh, it was something based on merit. And I think that this is way more than a shortcut. It's more of like trying to turn the game on easy mode and having it be played for you is more so what it is that we see with that stuff. And that's not anything just as a competitor, I would ever want to get involved in. Okay. I said one more, but I'm going to try to sneak in like two more questions. Yeah. <laughs> He's like that. It's not like, it's not like, it's like talk to every July every day. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I got to get it while that's it can, why I'm here, man. can be got, you know, that's why I'm get here. It while it can be got. Um, you know, Akons, you know, we, we've talked about this uh, a lot in the past, but uh, the, the cultural change we've seen regarding transgenderism, mm -hmm. we've seen like the cross-dressing Muppet baby, the the Barbie doll who's a transgender, the, the non-binary, uh, what was it called, transformer robot. Mm -hmm. um, and there's even, uh, there's even a retcon of Paradise Island, you know, where uh, Wonder Woman grew up, it's supposed yeah, to be yeah. all women. But of course now some of the women are trans women. Yep. So, and of course all of this stuff is aimed primarily at young adults and children. Um, you you said on Twitter and, and your videos that there's something uh, bizarre about the hyperfixation and entertainment on sexuality with regards to children. What do you see? What is the what is the idea behind that? Why is there so much of it? Yeah, it's such a it's weird, man, because it's almost I mean, you have to think that there's some demonic something weird like going on because there's there's not a quite a it's no logical explanation for that. Right. It's no there's no there's no demand for this type of stuff. So why on earth are they so fixated on trying to appeal to children with regards to the sexuality and, and, and gender stuff? So much so that you have people telling on themselves any event that they no longer can do it. There's a new rule put in place at a school or something that they feel like it's an attack on them, which, again, that's them telling on themselves. But like, how weird is that, that that's what they're focusing on? And, yeah, the hyperfixation, well, we're actually beyond that at this point now, it's more they're trying to make people more desensitized to the idea to the point to where now people confidently will use the term like trans kids as if there's nothing wrong with it. And I'm like, there's no such thing as that. That's not a real that's not a real thing. And, you know, the fact that there's hospitals in the medical community all been compromised to where they're giving uh, the, the, these blockers and, and even more so in some cases actually doing top and bottom surgery to to yeah. youngsters, uh, you know, completely altering their bodies for the rest of their lives. Is, is a bad, it's not just a bad thing, it's evil. It's evil. So it's hard to explain it other than you allow this 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 community of weirdos to, to control this narrative. And now people are so they're so dominant, even though it's not that many of them in in in, in terms of numbers, they're so dominant that people would have rather the sanctity of anything be just destroyed. As opposed to actually stand up against it and risk being called a bigot or a transphobe. I mean, I, I hate to bring up old stuff, but it's the reality. And it, it, it more so points it out. Like when you saw that thing that was happening with Leah Thomas dominating this, yeah. this sport of swimming. And it only it isn't until now where people wanted to start to put their name to it. Right. The, it, the damage has been done. Leah Thomas came, dominated your sport. And instead of y'all coming out together and saying, 
this is wrong you'd much rather the sanctity of your sport be destroyed as opposed to risk being called a transphobe and that shows just how powerful they have become that people are more scared of that. Now, I can't speak for myself because I don't care about that. You call me whatever you want. I'm not going to lose any sleep. But for some people, they wouldn't risk something like that. And this stuff doesn't change until people not only stand against it, but do it unapologetically. Just like we're seeing with Riley Gaines. And, the, and yep. she has been the only one that's come out. You know, now you're starting to see a few more. But mm -hmm. that's true. Now, in the gamer community, uh, Nick Merckx said something uh, about uh, trans kids and how we need to leave them alone. And he got a lot of backlash. Do you think that there's enough support for him for what he said? Yeah, well, he showed that their words don't really mean anything. And now you would hope that that would lead to more people just saying the, the, the complete like, let's just being obvious about what the position um, actually is and maybe that's the issue that's going to do it for some people is this whole push on, on children because he didn't just see a you know what he got a backlash but he saw an increase in subscribers right he saw an increase in support yeah. which goes to show that these guys don't matter just because they have control of these different entities and they make it seem like there's so many of them in numbers there's far more regular normal people that are against this stuff than that there are for it so just be yourself and it shouldn't be controversial to say something like, imagine that, leave the children alone and all of a sudden yeah. that's a crime. You know, these guys are crazy. But if you stand up against it, it'll end for sure. And you'll be surprised how much support you, you get because people understand the difference between what's right and wrong. And this is something that has been wrong and it just gained way too many legs. And, you know, there was a report recently, I think there was a survey that said 69% of people disagree with surgery uh the gender affirming, whatever trans yeah. surgery that people are against that. And it's interesting that, you know, you see the polling data, you see the laws that are being introduced across the country about not having uh, these surgeries for kids until they're able to make decisions. I mean, cause you don't let kids vote. You don't let them drink. You don't let them get married or drive or join no. the military or have guns. So why would you, I mean, when you're, three years old you don't you still believe in santa claus sorry if there's anybody out there that still believes in santa but you know they they don't they can't distinguish fantasy from reality right um you know and but you're letting them make this choice and so most americans are against that and yet we don't speak up it's to your point earlier you know that you were saying we we, we just don't talk about these things and um it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. And that's what we're seeing on Twitter. That's what we're seeing with all these people that seem to find joy in denigrating a brother that's doing pretty well for himself, yeah. you know, and all this, oh, black lives matter. But here's a black life that's disrupting a, an industry and we're not giving him any credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And I'm right there with you. I mean, uh, look, as more people speak out, most people be bold and they get out there and they just be themselves speak uh you know on what is just and what is righteous once that starts to happen you'll start to see a cultural uh shift and i think we are already kind of at the beginning stages of that i think they overplayed their hand and they yeah. should have left the children alone to nick Merckx's point and once they got there i think you're seeing a lot of people see just how demonic and hedonistic uh more so that the, this movement is where they're trying to use children of all people that and don't sex. know any better Yes, it's sex, all around too. sex. Yeah, like uh, for yeah. Uh, around children to validate themselves in their own existence, and that's just evil. 
So I, I, props to him, props to the people that have stood by him and what it is that he said. It's something that would never would have not been controversial to save in five years, uh, let alone, you know, right now. It's just it's just insane. So um, it's cultural rot is what I call it. But it the tide can change. And hopefully we're at the beginning stages of that. Okay, I have uh, one more question left in my bag, but also like three times now. <laughs> unless, I, unless I get permission to ask more questions, yes. yeah. <laughs> but I also want to make a comment before I ask that question because I saw uh, in a recent Young Ripper Fifty Nine video where you you talked about Merck and how you agree with them that people will say things to you in support mm -hmm. behind the screens. Mm -hmm. I won't say it in front of the camera. So I just want to say it in front of the camera, in front of everybody who may be watching this. And I'm going to talk to Marie also that we fully have your back and Absolutely. your views, your comics, everything you do. We're very proud of what you're accomplishing in the comic book market. You know, this, this is a market we are passionate about. Mm -hmm. And to see someone like you come along um, and do it, do what you've done so far and what we know you're going to continue to do makes us makes us very happy thank you and it's amazing too the market because we talked about this when stan lee passed away comic book creators are doing something uh very few cultural people can do can say they've done which is create a universe that people are going to know a hundred years in the future or longer um yeah. you know Stan Lee passed away, but how many years will people remember Spider-Man, for example, yeah. and Fantastic yeah. Four? And and we talked about Batman earlier. How many years are people going to remember Batman? And how many years are people going to remember Isom? You know, this is something that it's not just for 2023. It could be for another century, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just want to applaud you once again and, mm -hmm. and say that despite all the weirdos who can't probably on Twitter right now saying nasty things about you. Uh, Acons fully supports you. Appreciate y'all. And, and now my, which may be my last political question. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> see, you are su successful, intelligent, articulate, politically passionate, and you have a great following. So he wants something. Well, he he always leads in when he wants something. <laughs> then you say, "Oh, Marie, you're what you're yeah, wonderful today. Ice, you're my best friend." Ice, There's a whole litany of things. Ice <laughs> statue. That's why I brought this out. I want an ice statue. To this <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what I'm why I'm seeing all this is I'm wondering with all all the gifts you have, and you're still a very young man. Will we will we be seeing a representative? Ripper in Congress one day. I, I know there are a lot of people in Texas who would love that. Yeah, I, it's funny. <laughs> I've been getting that since I was, you know, even in my, you know, well into my twenties. You know, that was something that people would, you know, be different party members, Libertarian Party, and all that's like, hey man, like obviously you have the intellect to do it, and you have the appeal. Like you should be doing this and doing that. And I think people forget, you know, just how young I am. I just turned 33, you know, so um, wow. it, it, it's one of those things that I'm appreciative of it because that's essentially people saying that, you know, they would love to see me try to be part of the solution elsewhere. It, it's hard for me to say that. And, 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 you know, I would lean towards me not doing it, mainly because I think that my most effective role is in the creative space and the cultural, the subcultural stuff. 
Um, that doesn't mean I knock anybody from using the political process as their vehicle. Obviously, one of the greatest uh, you know, libertarians of all time, and Ron Paul, used the, the political process as a means to really turn an entire generation into libertarians, you know what I mean, or create a new crop of libertarians uh, and, and being a member of the Republican Party. But for me, I think when I see the response with backwards and I see kind of what's happened with the Riververse and I see even the cultural commentary it is that I have and even comparison to that, I think this is God telling me that this is where I belong. Because even I saw a lot of success with me just speaking on things. But even like like with the Riververse, nothing compares like this is the hands down the most successful thing that I've ever been a part of. And I think that's like God telling me like, hey. This is where you belong. You belong in the creative space, using your mind and your in your your knack of business to create. And I'm, I'm trying to take as much advantage of that. And I think that that's where I'm best suited to, let's say, be the most of uh, or of the utmost influence that I realistically can be. And it is, I think, in creation. I think with the big boost that I got with creating backwards and us being a billboard chart and band speaks to that. And I certainly believe that the Riververse speaks to that. So I like to remain involved in the cultural stuff because to me, that's my vehicle. And I, again, I, as long as I can, can uh, people can touch people's lives like positively doing that. I think I got to keep creating, you know what I mean? But I am, of course, flattered by the idea that people would love for me to even even consider doing something like that. And maybe when, when I am 20 years from now, uh, maybe that something is that I, that I at least mildly entertain, maybe more. But I think right now it's all about the creation. Let's make this into one of those four-hour live streams. I, I think <laughs> yeah, you, you, you guys are just like on all day. That is so cool. <laughs> That's what's up. But if you are just joining us, our guest this segment has been Eric July. He is the creator of the Ripperverse Isom one and now isom two uh tell us where again we can find all of your work and please do plug uh the comics for kids once again absolutely well i'm on eric d july on all major platforms but as far as what i what i really want eyes on is of course the Riververse. it is uh ever expanding and will be an ever expanding that is uh comic book universe that is getting a bunch of talent so for you guys that like universes like that the, the constant expansion of that, which is what got me into comic books. This is going to be the place for you. You don't want any of that nonsense. You don't want any of the uh, social uh, bull crap that has tend to come with a lot of uh, modern comic books. This is the place for you. And we are, to your point, doing uh, some cool things as well and getting this stuff in the hands of, of, of youngsters that uh, need them. Of course, we are working with comic books for kids. You can visit them and their website but we have a perk now, multiple perks on the campaign, ISOM2 campaign, which is going on right now, in which you can donate a copy of ISOM1 or ISOM2 or both of them to uh, Comic Books for Kids. And that is your donation. You can get it for next to nothing, only $17.50. You can get a brand new book and we'll give it to them uh, over there. So for you guys that maybe have already got everything in the campaign or you're one of those that I love the cause. Uh, but comics aren't really the biggest thing uh, that that you're personally into. This is a way to get you guys uh, involved. And of course, I appreciate everybody that's showing a lot of love to the Ripperverse. Um, what it is that we're doing as a company, you've changed my life 
for the better and even the lives, of course, of the people that are around us from the contractors on to the employees and that we're doing something that we thoroughly enjoy and something that matters. We so appreciate you taking your time to join us and hopefully we'll have you back. I hope this is a regular thing because you are it. one of our favorite guests. Let's do uh, it. Let's do it. I'm game. Are you free tomorrow or? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Hey, buddy. So now uh, is the segment where uh, DK and I are going to wrap some things up. But Eric, July, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you all so much. And like you said, we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, DK, what did you think of that? That's well, so cool. Is, he is know, such a cool guy. You know, I'm a big Ripper fan. Oh, you know, yeah. So I would love, I'd love to have him on every day. <laughs> yeah, him yeah. and Alan West. Yeah, <laughs> we can have like a four, a, a, a group of four. Definitely, cool. you know, that, that would be great. And that charity of his sounds amazing, you know. It is. The reason why I've become such a lifelong reader, not just of comic books, you know, literature and philosophy. And, and I read a lot is because of my childhood, you know, as I was yeah. an only child, an only child, I was in a rough neighborhood. So my, you know, mother didn't let me go play outside that often, but she did occasionally give me a dollar, send me into a store and I would spend the dollar on comic books. You know, she would, she would always make, she was always expect change back. There was never any change, you know. <laughs> back then, you get a dollar, you bought 10 comic books, and that's it. You don't buy eight and get 20 cents change. So I, I read everything they had in the little spin rack. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I read everything they had, Marvel, DC. I read the classics. You know, they had animated classics back then. You know, the, the comic book version of, uh, you know, Robinson Crusoe or uh, um, Sherlock Holmes stories and, it was an animated version of the Bible, which was my first reading of the Bible, which was through a comic book. Um, so, yeah, um, that experience impacted my life. And, and to see Eric July giving back the way he is, allowing these children to have the gift of reading, which may not be readily available to them. I think it's amazing. Very, yeah. very happy with him. I had a very similar childhood. I was an only child like you, uh, lived in a rough neighborhood. Uh, single mom you know um, we were so poor i had to go to the dental school which was not pleasant to this day i mean most people have a fear of the dentist mine is like you know way beyond what is normal uh, because i went to the dental school and my mom always promised me that you know if i was good or whatever uh, we would go to the corner store right there on fillmore and post and i could still smell with that store so it was like it smelled like tobacco uh, you know, and so you would go into the back, there's a spin rack, and I was a Harvey girl. I always got, you know, Casper or Richie Rich, or, you know, sometimes I would get a, a Betty or Veronica or Archie, which is a different, but, uh, you I know, know those, I, yeah. I stuck, you know, little Lotta, uh, Dot, uh, little Audrey, mm -hmm. all those Harvey comics, you know, I, I, I loved those and I grew up on those and Saturday morning cartoons, you know, the Wonder Twins and, you know, uh, Wacky Racers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's just my childhood. And you and I are pretty intelligent. You and I do read some literature. We have some interesting discussions, you and I, about literature, uh, British literature and all that kind of yeah. stuff. You wouldn't <laughs> think that about the two of us, but we do. Um, and so you can attribute that uh, to a childhood starting with comics. And so the fact that, you know, we've got this brother that's doing that and he gets 
all the grief online that he gets just because he is a black guy who holds libertarian views on things and libertarian views. I mean, that's just like, you know, I mean, generally libertarians, not always, but, you know, have some socially cons uh, liberal views or whatever are not uh, as socially conservative as the Republicans are. So you would think, you know, but no, that's not good enough because, you know, and, and to the point, and I don't want to get too crazy on this, but, you know, uh, this week we did celebrate Juneteenth. And some of the things that I heard online were really disturbing to me. Um, and the very idea that people would tell black folks what to think and feel and say and do and celebrate and not celebrate. And you should celebrate the day that the Emancipation Proclamation came out and not this Juneteenth thing. I mean, telling me what I can and cannot celebrate. I mean, I told people to step off. If you go to acons.substack.com, you'll see a little something I wrote for our friends who felt it necessary to say some things about uh, Juneteenth. But what really surprised me was some other black folks that I saw saying that it's ghetto and made up. I mean, okay, well, maybe I grew up in the ghetto, so that's why we celebrated it. But I mean, I'm almost 60 years old and we celebrated it my whole life. I mean, in the, in the black community where, where I've grown up, so, I mean, it's not a new idea. They're talking about it just because it's a federal holiday now. It's this new thing. I mean, it's like, it's not new. I mean, if you're black, it's not new. Neither is lift every voice and sing. That's not new. Yeah, my view on these ethnic holidays changed completely when I moved to New York and I saw just how many ethnic holidays they were, even for white people. Like every week there was a St. Patrick's Day, there was a... Columbus Day, there was a, a Polish, some kind of Polish Day, French Day, and so on. And these people, rightly so, were very proud of their ethnic heritage. Yeah. You know, they might just describe themselves as white, but you know, behind closed doors, if they're if both their parents are from France, they'll let you know they're French, and they're very proud of their French heritage. So, so I'm very, I'm kind of intolerant of the that kind of criticism when blacks have an ethnic holiday that they want to celebrate. Ghetto and made up. Yeah. That made me, that that made was, me uh, angry. Yeah. Some people are a little over the top. We've we spoken about that before, yes. um, especially in the black conservative movement. Yes. They, tend, they tend to try to be a little too appeasing to uh, a little, a little bit. A little it's bit. not all of us. It's probably not even most of us, but some of us are really, <laughs> they're, some of those really can say some outrageous things, sadly so. But this was not only a good week because of June 10th. There was also another event that happened a year ago this week that deserves uh, acknowledgement. Yes. And yes. Which was the overturning of the decision. Yeah, the Dobbs decision, which sent which overturned Roe v. Wade, as you just said, and, and sent the abortion laws to the to the state and and i live it. in the great state of texas yeah i'm just gonna um show a couple of things quickly yeah it's been almost abolished here in texas it's to underscore what i'm saying so it's it's been tough for conservatives a lot of a lot of republicans didn't get reelected in the midterms because they came out so strongly against abortion and uh, and people are afraid that's going to happen again. But this is from the National Review. 
since the the Dobb decision, we've seen an increase in um, the pro life sentiment. You know, so people are starting to get that message. It says, it "says this morning, God released the results of the abortion questions that were included in the annual Violence and Beliefs Survey." Overall, the results contain some good news for pro-lifers. That's me. <laughs> yes, us, yeah. The findings indicate that 41% of Americans identify as pro-life. That is an increase of four percentage points over last year's Gallup poll. Additionally, since last year, the percentage of Americans who felt that abortion was morally wrong increased from 38% to 40, 41%. So that's that's really wonderful news in my opinion. You know, maybe Absolutely. it's not a not an easy fight. You know, forty one percent it's not nearly high mm -hmm. enough in my opinion. It should be like ninety one percent. Yeah, and it's just maybe we're getting there. Let me show you something else. Especially for those who claim that Black Lives Matter, and to see that. Uh, most of Planned Parenthood clinics are in communities of color. And, you know, they have this focus so much. Our white allies have this focus on BIPOC, you know, uh, people. And so for the fact that, that these clinics are in communities of color, asking us to, I mean, like I said, you know, it's one thing during slavery when your children were ripped from your arms, uh, you were raped and then your the the product of that your child uh was ripped from your arms and sold away from you we're now laying down and letting somebody else rip our children from our wombs and so um that to me has always been a, a mystery how anyone could uh sacrifice their child on the altar of of margaret sanger who wanted to get rid of people that look like us who were human weeds and undesirables in her words well let me just touch upon this story because I think it supports what you just said and it really underscores why this abortion fight is so important. It says that back to the top, since stops, pro-life laws have already saved 10,000 unborn lives and counting. Now, mind you, this is from November of 2022. So this is only about two months since Dobbs um, was issued. And there's already 10,000 lives saved. So by the time we get to one year anniversary, you can extrapolate maybe 60,000 lives are saved. I think it's been more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I, I saw a statistic the other day and now I can't remember it. But yeah, it's been well more than that. And um, some of these uh, larger states in Texas uh, you know, where it's been completely eradicated because um, one of the things that happened here in Texas was that um, we had laws on the books prior to the ending of Dobbs that said that if it did get kicked down to the states, uh, our state was against abortion. And so all of the laws, so it, when it reverted back to the state from day one, the day that it was signed, uh, abortion was illegal here in Texas. And so we saw a dramatic reduction immediately. And that's when you started seeing some of the sanctuary hoo-ha hop up, like our my former governor um, in California started having these abortion sanctuary states and that kind of stuff. And I don't understand. It seems like it's a sanctuary for every evil under the sun. You want your kids to have a trans surgery? These kids that um, you know are given hormone blockers and all these cross-sex hormones, when they are still going through puberty, 
Um, and so we don't know what the long-term effects are and they're used off label for some of these things, but Hey, you go to California and you can have that trans surgery. You want to have an abortion. Hey, go to California because you can have that abortion. Um, and as we saw yesterday, if you, uh, were, uh, part of our, uh, uh, we had a, uh, we had a discussion yesterday. It hasn't aired yet, but you will see it soon. Uh, where we talk about San Francisco and the many problems that it's seeing, uh, it's it's shocking, really, uh, some of the problems. It's a ghost town because of all these liberal policies. And so it, it's just surprising to me that uh, you would have a state like California uh, try to entice people to come by doing really horrific, life-altering things. Yeah, it's frightening and it's kind of disappointing, especially you see these major corporations, they're they're paying for abortion yeah. access for their employees. They're letting and for them these go. trans surgeries. Yeah. Trans surgeries and uh abortion access. They let them go to, like you said, California. They're paying for the trip there and trip back and the hospital stay. They're really in encouraging these really demonic um cultural forces and and it's, it seems intentional, you know. You go to a baseball game now, and you see a you see a man dressed as a demonic nun, demonic nun being. Um, and they're from San Francisco. That was something raised. forty years ago when I was a kid that we saw them all over San Francisco. I'm not going to say their name um, and give them any uh, hype, but yeah, they've been around for well over forty years. Yeah, and it's just. They've been around, but it's just very discouraged. It feels discouraging to see what was what was my favorite sport honoring something like that. So the fight continues. Uh, some polls are indicating that we're winning a little. You know, more people are becoming pro-life, uh, especially after the after the first trimester. Um, you know, more people are speaking out against these transgender. Uh, it, uh, issues that affect children, you know, all ages, drag shows, gender yeah. surgeries for, for kids who could barely, you know, they just started, um, they don't even, I'm trying to phrase this. I was going to see something that might not go over well, but anyway, they went transgender surgery before they even have hair yet, you know? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, they haven't been through puberty yet. And then they, yeah. and he was spoke about how in your, your former state, there's a bill now to, to take kids away from their parents if the kids don't washington i think it's either oregon or washington i always get those two confused it's one of them and california is considering it also yeah. and i think they they talked about it in virginia um they they didn't they ended up not doing it because there's a backlash but see that's the key is there needs to be a backlash i saw two clips that uh the third member of akon sebastian my husband showed me there was a a, a grandfather who got that room told. He said that it was demonic. He called people out and he said, it's, you know, it's judgment because he said that God will give you over to these vile passions and all of this kind of stuff. And so he really got it told. And he was a grandpa and he got up there and he said, leave my grandkids alone. Um, and then this I just want to explain what we're talking about. You know, the bill that will take your children away if you don't immediately affirm their gender decision. So if you have a a nine-year-old boy who comes to you and says that he I wants to be a, a girl mm -hmm. or whatever, and you don't support that decision immediately, then your son can be taken away from you. Sorry, I just want to. That's okay. That. No. Yeah. And then there was a mom that that got into. Oh man, I should have had those videos queued up for you, and maybe on our live stream, uh, 
we will we'll do that we have a live stream on thursday nights but uh we will have to examine some of those because there is a movement where people are pushing back and even though we're being labeled domestic terrorists by our own government for going to open meetings these are meetings that are open to the public because we are taxpayers and this is taxpayer money because we fund schools and schools are where this is happening these are books that are in your library for kids to read i mean it's really how to do some of these sex acts i mean it's like a how-to manual i mean you know probably some people watching this maybe you know when they were in high school would sneak out certain books because they heard there was a passage or two or whatever these are straight up i mean like magazines of how to do stuff and i mean they're in our schools and so these parents are pushing back and that our government would label them domestic terrorists and say that they cannot go to school board meetings and you know what the response is not only are they going to these school board meetings but they are clearing out the school boards they are voting them out if you don't listen to me you're done you're gone but we see southern poverty law center uh calling moms for liberty extremist groups and hate groups and that kind of stuff and that to me is shocking some of the stuff that i see on a regular basis like we just talked about with eric july called a, a, a uncle tom and a sellout and the n-word and all this stuff with regularity on a public platform that's okay but you go and you talk about these school board meetings or whatever you're in a hate group that's just ridiculous to me. I don't understand that. I never will. Um, and it is, it is to normalize and break down some of this stuff so that a generation from now people can marry their goats. And I think that's just crazy. I absolutely agree with you. So there you have it. Another episode of African American conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. We are asking that you go to acons.substack.com. There you'll find our commentary. You will find uh, all of our uh, platforms. You will find uh, links to this podcast, uh, our YouTube, our Rumble account, all of that. Please follow us everywhere that you can. Um, and so we really need your support as well as considering financially supporting ACONS. So until next time. This is DK saying God save the queen. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot to say man. You have to say God, oh, God save the queen, man. There you go. And Marie signing off for Studio C. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash AACONS, and also you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash AACONS forward slash support.